and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. If I was a fellow that could make Hollywood movies, uh, what I would most like to make a movie about would be the life of David. And I don't think there's ever been a good movie done on David. There's been a few really feeble attempts that have been done and, and really bad executions of it. But boy, if there's ever somebody's life that is just, just ripe for the picking, for making the movie, it'd be David's life. In fact, I would do it as a trilogy. I would do it as a trilogy, and I'll tell you how I'd do it. The first part would focus on his early life up to the point in time where he is actually um, begins to reign as king. And that would include a lot of events. And then the next part, the next movie in the trilogy would cover his reign up till the kind of almost the end. And that would cover events like um, well, certainly the, one of the events David's most known for is the whole Bathsheba and Uriah event, that affair. And then the third part would focus on the end of his life, and that would include Absalom and what happened with his son Absalom. It would include um, his picking Solomon to reign in his stead and making sure that happened, and sort of the unfinished business of the, the temple. There's, it's such an incredibly full life, and it's a life that is so inspiring from beginning to end, and inspiring on so many levels and for so many reasons. It's been quite a few years now, but at one time we went through the pretty much the entire life of David. Um, but it has been a while. And so I thought I would like to revisit David's life. And we won't cover everything in his life. Uh, we won't read all of Samuel and so forth. But I, I'm going to focus on some of those key events that are part of those areas, those, those times in his life. And so we'll start off here this evening in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where we're first introduced to David. Now the background of this record is Samuel has just had the um, heavy, sad responsibility of going to the king, Saul, and telling him that God has rejected him from being king. Saul was the first king in Israel. He was the first king. Up until that time, it was prophets, judges that ruled over Israel. From the time of Joshua going into the promised land up until this point in time, it is a theocracy and it is the judge, they are known as judges, that ruled over Israel. 
The last of those judges to rule is the man Samuel. And Samuel was a wonderful judge. He was a wonderful judge. And it was Samuel that God came to one day. Um, well, actually, I should say it the other way around. The people of Israel one day said to Samuel, you know, we're kind of tired of you being the judge over us. What we'd like to do is have a king. You know, we've looked at all the different forms of government surrounding us, and, you know, everybody around us, instead of having a theocracy, they have a monarchy. And they have a king reigning over them, and that's what we want. We've decided we want a king. So Samuel went to God and said, God, this is what's going on. The people are saying they don't want me to tell them what to do anymore. They want a king. And God said, well, don't feel bad, Samuel, because it's not you they've rejected. It's me that they have rejected in doing this. And if they want a king, you can give them a king. But let them know what they're getting themselves in for here. Because if they get a king, I'll tell you what's going to happen. And you tell them. That king is going to take all of their sons and he's going to put them in the army. And he's going to take their daughters and he's going to make them his wives and his concubines. And he's going to tax you like you live in New York State. And it's not going to be what they think it is. It's not going to be what they, what they imagine. So Samuel goes and tells Israel that. And nonetheless, they, they still decide that they want to do that. So Saul is the first king. God has Samuel go and anoint Saul. Because Saul's end is so bad, sometimes people sort of forget that that's not the way he started off. Sometimes people may wonder, why did God ever have Samuel pick Saul in the first place, considering he ended up being such a, a bad guy? You know, he ends up doing some of the most terrible things. He, first of all, he not, doesn't take him long to start kind of hedging on anything he's told to do. If he's told to wait till a certain time, instead, and, and then we're going to have a sacrifice, he takes it upon himself to have a sacrifice before that time for the prophet to arrive is. And, and he's always kind of doing things wrong, but then he flat out disobeys God, and when he's reproved on it, he just makes excuse after excuse after excuse. He just rationalizes why he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And that's what gets God to tell Samuel to just tell him, tell him he's done. Tell him he's done. Now, he ends up sitting on the throne for quite a while after that. But as far as God was concerned, he's done. God's not talking to him anymore. God's not working with him anymore. And he's not the one that God wants to rule his people. And so God chooses somebody else to rule in his stead. And that's what we're going to pick it up in chapter 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? You know, Samuel loves Saul, and again, although Saul didn't end up being a great king, he was the right man in the first place, and he accomplished some great things. And Samuel felt badly. He felt badly for, for Saul. 
he felt badly for the way his life ended, and he had a love for him, and he knew it wasn't right that Saul continued doing that responsibility, but nonetheless, he felt bad about it. And God comes to him and says, you know, it's, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And enough feeling bad for Saul, you need to move on here. I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, meaning he's from Bethlehem, okay? For I have provided me a king among his sons. That's a specific instruction as Samuel gets. Go to Jesse, and one of his sons I've chosen in the place of Saul, and you're going to go and anoint him. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Saul is not willing to give up his throne easily, even though God doesn't want him on that throne. He doesn't care. He likes the power. He likes that power. He likes everything that comes with being the king. And he's not willing to give that up, and he's not willing to give it up at any cost. And even if that means fighting against God himself, Saul is not willing to go against give it up. How can I do? He'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Go there, and take a, take a heifer with you, and do a sacrifice. And, and that's what you tell them. You don't have to, you, you know, don't lie, but you just don't have to tell them everything you know. You've got another job while you're there. You don't have to make that public. You just tell them that I'm sending you there to sacrifice, to do a sacrifice. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto him whom I name unto thee. Jesse is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Now, Boaz and Ruth, these were, you know, very important citizens of that place. They were very highly regarded and highly respected. And it's in all likelihood that Jesse, that, that respect, that status in the community has passed right down to him. Verse 4, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? <laughs> it's funny, it makes me think of that verse in Romans 13, that if you do good, you don't have to be afraid of the rulers, but if you're not doing good, well, then you got reason. I don't know what these guys had on their mind, why their conscience was guilty, and why they were nervous about the, the judge coming, but they, they were worried. Are you, are you coming peaceably, or did somebody do something wrong here? And he said, peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Get yourselves ready, and, and everybody come. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. So they'd get a special invitation. And it came to pass, verse 6, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he has the sacrifice, 
And the custom was that after you sacrificed a heifer, then after the, the sacrifice was the actual, okay, we're doing this as a sacrifice to the Lord. This will be a sin offering or a, you know, could be a, a different type of sacrifice. Sometimes there were um, sacrifices of thanksgiving, but that would be the sacrifice would be the actual slaying of the animal. But then they would follow that, as custom was, with a sacrificial meal. The sacrifice, in this case, was for everybody to attend, but now the sacrificial meal is with Jesse's household. And so he brings in, he says, bring in Eliab, and when Samuel takes a look at him, he thinks, boy, if ever I saw a guy that looked like a king, that's the fella. He just, he, central casting, if we were going to cast who should be the king, this is the guy. This is the guy that looks like he'd be a great king. He's big, he's strong, he, he looks smart. He's the fella. But the Lord, verse 7, said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God says, don't look at, you know, how much he looks to be the role. Never mind how good looking he is. Never mind on how tall he is or any of that outward stuff. I've not chosen him because I don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. It's one of the things that separates God from most people, you know. <laughs> most people do look at the outward appearance. Most people can't see farther than that. They can't see on, on what a person looks like on the outside, and they judge people simply on that basis. And boy, if you know you, you look a certain way, then people think one thing of you, and if you look a different way, they think something else. But God's not like that. God looks on a person's heart. He looks on their heart. It's not what you look like on the outside, and it's not the things on the outside. It's the heart. That's what counts to God. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen thee. One by one, he's dragging them out, you know. It's kind of like the guy that's got all the daughters and he's trying to marry them off before he gets to the pretty one. You know, he's bringing out all these sons that God's saying, no, no, that's not it. That's not him. Not. And by this point, you know Samuel's got to say, you know, well, I, I'm sure you told me to come and pick one of them, God, and every one that they're bringing me, I, you're saying no. And Samuel said unto Jesse in verse 11, are here all thy children? You know, it looks like you got to the end of the line here, but something's wrong because none of these are the ones that I'm, I'm supposed to pick. And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. <laughs> I just have a, a kid, a kid. Now, this is a good point to stop and, and to consider something that I'll bet most of us have never considered. We know what David's going to be chosen to do, right? Mm -hmm. But there's nothing in this record, as you're reading it, that at all indicates 
that Jesse or even David knew what he was being anointed for. Hold your finger here and, and just in contrast, flip back a few chapters to chapter 10. In chapter 10, you have Samuel anointing Saul. And we'll see what happens on that occasion. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head. Same thing that he's going to do with David. He's going to anoint him with oil. And anointing with oil was a custom in the East. It was a custom to show that a person was anointed or chosen for some special responsibility, for some great honor and responsibility. But it could be any kind of service whatsoever. People were anointed to go into the school of the prophets. People were anointed to serve in different capacities. So the anointing with oil indicates that he's being chosen by God for some great purpose, but it doesn't in itself indicate that it was to be king. In Saul's case, it's not just that. He kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? There he specifically tells him when he pours it all on his head, that he's doing this because God has chosen him to be the ruler over his people. He goes on in verse 6 to say, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and thou shalt be turned, and shalt be turned into another man. Now that doesn't mean he becomes literally another man, but, but with that Spirit of God on him, that Spirit of God is going to give, make him so much more than he ever was. He's going to have the power of God, and that's going to enable him to do things that he could otherwise never do. It always does. It always does. You know, talking about judges, read the record of Samson. I guess they've just come out or coming out with some movie about him. I, I doubt that, you know, it's one worth seeing. But Samson... Every time Samson did one of those great feats of strength, it is always preceded in the word of God by the phrase, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Every time he did something, and he did lots of things, it wasn't just at the end knocking down the building. You know, he did many great things, and of course, most famous for killing a thousand guys with the jawbone of an ass. I don't care. I don't care how strong you are or what kind of martial arts, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I don't care what you've taken. You're not going to kill a thousand guys with the jawbone of a jackass unless there's something else happening supernatural here. And that was the case. It was the Spirit of God. And that Spirit of God is what enabled Saul to do the great things that he did when he was walking with God. And when he lost the Spirit of God, which is what happens when God rejects him from being king, then he's again another man, but not in a good way. He becomes another man in that he's only the worst, that his worst version of himself. The Spirit of God changes an individual. It enables us 
Yeah, I suppose if we had to, you know, fight a bunch of guys, God could energize the spirit in that same way, but but enables us to do signs, miracles, and wonders. It enables us to heal people. It enables us to bring forth a message from God. It enables us to walk with God, for God to speak directly to us and tell us which way to go. It enables us to avoid calamities and catastrophes and, and accidents. You know, it enables us to, to find important things that are lost. There's, there's so many, yeah, there's so, I can tell stories. There's so many things that that Spirit of God does in our lives because it is power. Let's go back to chapter 16. Here with David, when David's chosen, it's an anointing, but there's not any specific words that are spoken that indicate what it's for. So Samuel, continuing in verse 11, said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. <laughs> you go fetch him. You go get him, because we're not going to sit down and eat here until you go get him and we finish out what God wants me to do. And he sent and brought him in, verse 12. Now he was ruddy, which means reddish, and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. You know, it must have been good stock. I mean, you know, this isn't the first one they said he was good looking with, Sam, with Jesse's sons. But it says that he was ruddy, and that's reddish. And what was, was that his complexion or his hair coloring? Nobody knows, okay? Some will say one thing, some will say the other. Some will say that it was that he was, had a, a healthy glow about him. That's the NIV translation of that verse. Others will say that it means that he had reddish or auburn, as some would have it, hair coloring. Um, don't know. But somehow it contributed to the overall, his overall appearance being, this is a beautiful, just a, a, a beautiful young man. This is somebody that, you know, he may not as, be as tall as brothers, but at least he's good looking. <laughs> and the Lord said, continuing in verse 12, Arise, Anoint him, for this is he. This is the fellow I had you come there to anoint. I want you to anoint him. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel went up, rose up, and went to Ramah. From that day forward, David has the Spirit of the Lord. He was anointed in the midst of all his brethren. But the fact that they all were there on that occasion and their subsequent actions when David shows up on the occasion of Goliath would be further evidence to, to indicate that nobody did really quite get what he was anointed to do. They just knew he was anointed for some reason of the Lord. You know, nothing immediately changes overnight for David. David goes right back, okay, well, that was nice. Now, you better go back and take care of those sheep because <laughs> that's what he does. He goes from there. I suppose he got to sit down and eat the meal, but he goes back right out and watches the sheep. Nobody treats him any differently, okay? His brothers don't go, oh, my gosh, David, did you hear David? He's, no, nobody treats him any differently. Nothing changes immediately in David's life except 
that he got the Spirit of the Lord. That changes at that point in time. And the fact that he does receive the Spirit of the Lord on that occasion is the reason why other events leading up to his being king happen, why he's able to do the things that he's able to do, such as take care of a bear and a lion that come along. Verse 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul loses the Spirit of the Lord, and instead an evil spirit enters into him. Saul becomes possessed. And that explains Saul's actions from this point on. Why it is that Saul is so driven by jealousy and the desperate need to hang on to his power to the point that he's willing to try to kill, you'll see it in the record, not only David but his own son. That Saul will do anything, anything, to try to hold on to the throne and any action that anyone takes that that may in his mind threaten is grounds for him to go after them. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player of a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. They say, we can see that, you know, you've, something's changed with you, Saul, and, and, you know, you're not the same fella. And, you know, I don't know if he was showing signs of depression, along with the rage and all the different things, but the people around him said, you know, we think that what could really help you here would be somebody that, was play, that played music well. Somebody that played wonderful, godly music and, and that that music would just soothe your soul. You know, it's such a great record for all musicians to look at with this because you see in the life of Saul with David how powerful music is. Music is just such an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. You know, with, with music, you can change the mood of a person. You can make them, you can inspire them. You can excite them. You can depress them. You know, somebody once said, I forget who it was, but um, if you, uh, it was some communist leader. He said that if you give me the songs of a generation, the, the, if you let me, if, if I can control the music of a generation, I can control that nation. And music's that powerful. You know, they play music as people marched into battle, young men to their, to their deaths, and yeah, it is. And it can be used negatively or positively. It can be used negatively or positively. Music can, in the case of Saul, cast a spirit out, and in the case of many others, it can put one in there. It's a matter of what's being played. Because it is that powerful. It's just that powerful. Verse 17. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, 
that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in manners, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. So here, one of Saul's servants is someone that's acquainted with that with Jesse's family. He's acquainted with David. He knows about him. And he knows not only that he can play music, but he knows that God is with him. And he says, this is the fellow that you need. This is somebody who can, not just he's, he's you know, a good harp player and a good singer and songwriter, but the Spirit of God is with him, and he'll really help you out. Verse 19. Wherefore, wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the, the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid, meaning a goat, and sent them by David his son unto Saul, all gifts that would be appropriate for him to give to the king. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. Saul loved David greatly, and he became his armor bearer. That doesn't mean that he necessarily literally carried his armor into battle. It meant that he was one of his closest members of the court. And Saul said to Jesse, and Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that Saul took a harp, that David took a harp, and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. David would play for him, and it just healed Saul, and the spirit actually left him at those times. And Saul loved David for it. He loved David. He loved David, and that's something to keep in mind as you get into the rest of the record of David's life, and you see where this goes between David and Saul. But it starts off with Saul loving David. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind. 